kon langare mena. Welcome to Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and currently in Maryland, but about to move to England, I believe, is Bianca Mangum. Hello. And still in Wisconsin for the foreseeable future is William Annett. Hello. So, yeah, Bianca, you're moving. Yes. Sometime. Tell us about that a little bit. After a year of grappling with stupid paperwork, I finally got my visa. So hopefully I'll be moving in a couple of weeks. But not just yet. So you're not rid of me. (laughs) Well, with the power of Skype, we should be able to uh, keep you Yeah, hopefully you'll still be on here. But we'll we'll work that out when it comes. Yeah, I mean, I'm a night owl, so I'll probably still be awake. Yeah. Oh, actually, uh, you guys don't work Sundays. I think the only reason we had it so late on a Sunday was because I work. Um, Will, do you work on Sundays, actually? Not unless something has gone terribly wrong. He's okay. on call. Yes, that's right. Every other, yeah. every third week I'm on call, but apart from that... For now, that should be fine, but the the issue is, is I might end up getting a job that <laughs> I would be working on weekends, but at, that's... We'll, we'll deal really, with that when it comes up. Yeah, it's internet time. It's not time. really something that's about to come up. It's just something. It's a possibility. So I shouldn't talk about it too much. I'll jinx myself. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, Bianca, I saw you uh, on, on Google Plus, I think, swearing about your verbs. What verbs were making you sad? I'm trying to make a new language with verbs. And it's like I have – I know how I want it to work. I have the outline, and I'm trying to fit in the actual sounds for the affixes, and they just sound like ass, so I'm really annoyed with it. <laughs> so, so I'll get there eventually. Yeah. But Both Bianca and I, we were talking about this, we're both using the the person markers that were in Teva. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I I can figure finding affixers for those might be a little difficult sometimes. Well, there's all sorts of fun stuff going on with what I'm trying to do. And it could just be me trying to make it a little too crazy, but, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see. The, 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 the other languages to look at that use those um, inverse systems with your, your person marking are the Algonquin languages, so things like... Um, uh, Ojibwe, Cree, uh, Blackfoot, Arapaho, all of those you can find reasonably good documentation online, and those have good explanations on those systems. If nothing else, the Wikipedia articles will, will tell you where to go. The problem is <laughs> I'm trying to somehow mix that verb marking with some Basque stuff. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, yeah. She's, th- she's trying to make verbs from hell. I tried I to convince say, her to pull some of the stuff out of. Out there will of the only be ten, though. There will only be ten. 
Yeah, only ten verbs will inflect that much, but it's still right. Well, that's very (laughs) best. (laughs) So, so you just have to memorize a giant chart, and the rest of your verbs are just infinitives. Yes. Mm -hmm. But the giant chart will kill you. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Anyone who hasn't seen the Navajo giant charts after charts after charts. I'm pretty sure the Basque chart I looked at, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> but I do I love Basque. It's 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 a common source of inspiration for language inventors. I think it's nice. I knew this one kid. His name was like Chus or something. T X U S S. So with that kind of name, I was kind of expecting him to know Basque. He did not. It was very disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I met a girl at college who, she was South African and she spoke Tosa, which I probably murdered that click somehow. Hey, that was pretty good, though. (laughs) But uh, I tried to get her to teach me, but it didn't work. (laughs) It's a tough language. Yes. Languages are always more fun if you can get someone to teach you. Anyway... Our topic for today, actually, has nothing to do with teaching language. It might have something to do with charts. But, Indeed. Uh, we're talking about organization, computers, and conlanging. Now, basically, what we mean by that is, you know, how do you organize all the information about your conlang? And if you use electronic means to store that information, which a lot of us here, I think, are going to be using different computer programs and such to do that. What applications are out there to do that? And what systems are out there that you can use to do that? And what systems do we wish were out there that we could use to use? I always feel like I go first, but for me, um, I usually have two main documents for my languages. I have a grammar and a lexicon. And I actually only use one program to do both of them, and it's NeoOffice, which is basically like OpenOffice for Mac. I know they have an OpenOffice for Mac as well, but NeoOffice is better. Um, And it does contain quite a lot of charts. I'm a fan of charts and tables. Yeah, Um, now... See, recently I've been doing all my conlanging stuff, keeping the information at least organized with uh, Google Docs. And that way it has about as much stuff as you would have with Word or with uh, the OpenOffice stuff. But I can switch from my desktop to my laptop without having to take a thumb drive or anything. Yeah, that is one of the nice things about Google Docs. The one thing I don't like about it is that the tables don't give you anywhere around the number of options that I like. Because I'm apparently the queen of making tables. (laughs) That's true, but it'll give you a simple table for stuff, and then if you want to make it pretty later, you can port it to another program. I want it pretty now. Yeah. Anyway, I saved <laughs> William. I kind of saved you for last because you 
I mean, I have more to say, but I think I want I want to throw to you because you, being in computers, you might have some stuff that we overlook. Sure. Almost all of my languages start out their life really old-fashioned. I have a notebook, which I just put ideas in. So if I come up with a, a funky sound system one day, I'll you know make some notes on a page and then put it away. And then if I can come back and look at things. And I might get up to about 10 pages of paper with lots of things crossed out and arrows and doodles and so forth before I'm finally ready to do something more permanent. And it used to be that I would go straight to HTML. I'd go straight to web pages for things. And certainly, my biggest language, Vior, appears that way. But these days, I'm much more likely to go straight into LaTeX, which is a pretty high-powered response to the problem. But it does automatic indexing for you and automatic cross-link referencing and spits out a lovely PDF and it has nice fonts and all of that. So, so that's how I go this, these days. There's, it's definitely a, a learning curve at the start. And yes. One question that... I have, uh, will LaTeX actually do, like, will it sort your dictionary entries alphabetically? No. You have to put those in by yourself in the correct order. What was I going to say? I think it's worth mentioning now that LaTeX is actually spelled LaTeX. Yes, L-A-T-E-X. Yeah, and there's some odd capitalization, too. Yeah. Right, because it's supposed to be supposed to look like Greek. Um, but one of the side effects is it's easier for me to deal with because... These days, I mean, again, like Bianca, for for many of my languages, if they don't get terribly far, I'm going to have a grammar, I'm going to have vocabulary. But these days, I'm likely to add at least two more sections to any document for language I invent. One of them is an examples section, which has sort of just examples of ideas I have for the grammar um, that aren't rolled into the grammar. Um, and second, I'm really likely to have a separate section on pragmatics and discourse I've, stuff. I've been meaning to add a section on pragmatics. That's one of the things I feel is most lacking in conlangs is pragmatics, just because it's, it's a pain and you have to get pretty far to get to it. It's true. It is. But it, if you've got if you've got fifteen words, you can't have a very complicated discourse <laughs> <laughs> situation. You can't. I think I ha- added a couple of stuff, like just because it's grammatically related to the different structures. Anyway, not important. Um, I remember asking you about the tech because I was interested in myself. Because I think one of the reasons we we're talking about this is I had a dictionary meltdown where I was just so mad with the fact that like the spreadsheet file couldn't have all of the information I wanted and it just got too much and I had to redo it and it's like 800 words and I'm still mad about it. Ooh. I've managed to write the definitions for 50 of those words. So we'll get there eventually. Ow. Ouch. See, this is why, again, this is another of the things that pushed me a little bit towards LaTeX 
and certainly I would never use a spreadsheet for vocabulary for me just because depending on the nature of the language, you have no idea how many things you're going to need to say in a, in a lexical entry. You might need to explain the plural. You might need to explain strange case forms. You might want to have examples. Hopefully, you don't have one-word definitions for all of your vocabulary. So yes. you've got you know the three core things that a word means that don't map onto English semantics. Or, so there's, there's all sorts of weirdness that going on there that, that makes writing a dictionary, a good dictionary, very difficult. Yeah, I mean, when you first start, it's fine to just have a list and, you know, hand is hand. I mean, that's not going to get too crazy. But, um, yeah, I got to the point where, like, certain verbs would take different cases and it would mean something else. And it's not like a phrasal verb in English where you can just put the preposition next to it because the preposition is an affix and I was going insane. Yeah. (laughs) Right, so that's hard to organize on a spreadsheet for all of the other benefits that come with using a spreadsheet. There Uh, are good things to spreadsheets, which is probably why it's where you start and then end up looking for something else. Now, have either of you used dedicated dictionary database programs? Because I have used, I started out actually using Lexic Pro, and then I moved to Linguist Toolbox. I'm not currently using either of them right now, but Toolbox seemed usable to me. It took a little bit of work to actually figure out how to make the entries work. Right. It That has its its funky markup that you have to produce directly, right? Yeah. Yeah. There There aren't any really great tools to turn that into a nicely typeset dictionary. I mean, I suppose you could write one. Um, Maybe you could. Well, I could. (laughs) I think you can produce... I think that it has a document output uh, that that will give you a formatted formatted dictionary entries, but... um, Does it speak Unicode? I'd have to see. Oh no! Google has their own Unicode fonts, so it should. Yeah, I would expect they've been. Yeah. So you should mention that is. I forget. Is this tool free? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah free yeah. is Summer good. Institute of Language. Right. It's it's put up by the Summer Institute of Linguistics, which is a big, it's a big missionary work organization actually, but they've got a lot of really solid computing tools and and resources for. Linguistics, especially less commonly studied languages. The problem with the the shoebox format is because it's this funky markup, it's really easy to produce a dictionary that is inconsistent with itself. Because mm-hmm. everyone will come up with their own citation style. And by everyone, I mean you one year later, if you work... <laughs> For anyone who works on a single language that long. Yeah, and I mean, if you're someone like me who doesn't, you know, know much about computers, there's going to be another learning curve at the beginning figuring out what the hell you're doing. Right. (laughs) And I tried Lexic Pro, too, and I was not very pleased with it. Lexic Pro has gotten really buggy. At least when I quit using it, it was way too buggy to use. I felt like it was trying to force me into one word glosses for each mm-hmm. thing 
and I couldn't put examples in a nice way, and it, of that, course, didn't handle in fixes. The gloss thing, I think, is also a problem with uh, toolbox. I think you can put multiple words for a single entry, but it's it's a little weird somehow. I mean, especially when I'm doing my stuff, a lot of words don't want to translate nicely because there's no adjective. So it's like, it doesn't mean happy, it means happiness. But no one's going to look for happiness because it's a weird way to search for it. So, anyway. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I mean... Everything I do is written in the assumption of documentation. Yeah. Producing a nice tool to make it easy for some random schmo to learn my language is not usually high on my list of priorities just because it's not bloody likely to happen very often. Well, I've had a couple of people ask me for lessons, so I actually have a nice thing with lessons written up. And I do kind of want to have a lexicon to go with it, because if not, all you're going to be able to say is stuff like, my cat is cute, because mm -hmm. those are the words I come up with when I'm writing stuff. Um, but I do like the idea. I mean, even for myself, let's say five years later, I come back and I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool. want to revisit it. Am I going to remember to look up happiness instead of happy? Probably not. Of course, you know. Right. Although my cat is cute is a great sentence. I, I was just thinking about textbook sentences and how weird. I, I, <laughs> I had to do this for Vior. When you're early trying to write a, a primer on a language, you don't have any vocabulary, so you produce just the stupidest sentences. I know. So I, I, got, I got recently a, a, a new textbook for classical Nahuatl came out, and one of the example sentences was, which means the fish do not sing. <laughs> oh, God. You should have seen I like my... I on Google+. Plus. I just... The fish do not sing. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Unless there is some aspect of Aztec religion that I've missed out on. <laughs> I think this reminds me of a horrible story. When I first started learning some Swedish... Learn me some good Swedish. Um, the first two words I learned were the word for whore and the word for thanks. And I believe my first sentence was thanks whores. <laughs> if that counts as a sentence. Right. So unfortunately, I try and give better vocab, which just ends up being like, my cat is cute. Uh -huh. My cat is fluffy. Well, you know, you do have to start small. Currently, right. what I've been doing is taking somebody else's test sentences that they created and translating them. And they're kind of dumb. It's like, the sun is shining, that kind of Oh, stuff. the ones from Fizzywig. Um, yeah. yeah. That's a good... He, they're actually really good. They test a lot of nice grammatical things. Um, yeah, and that's what I use them for. It's, yeah. you know, the content of them is not necessarily, is is kind of banal, but, you know, what I'm doing is testing syntax and figuring out how exactly my language handles a word like the sun will shine tomorrow, stuff like that. 
Right. And, yeah. and that's these days what I use my examples section for. Uh, well, I have like, you'd love this. Um, I didn't mention I have also a third document, which is kind of what I use to test my language. Or I usually just grow, expand it by um, translating things. So I basically have one document, which is just glosses, 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 glosses of sentences I translated. <laughs> yes. Do you do lots of translation challenges? I used to when I started. I haven't done them recently just because I've been trying to work on the grammar. It's at a stable enough point that I don't need to translate to build anymore. Mm -hmm. um, that was mostly when I was starting into build. That's basically how I do that. But um, I used to do it a lot. See? I have less to say on this topic because you guys are more organized than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Organization, it will save you problems in the end. I think people just beginning sort of just slow, you know, throw things together. And after a while, you'll, you'll settle into a pattern of, of laying out the grammar and laying out the vocabulary in a way that is still usable to you. Um, one of the things if, if, you were to go look at a bunch of my sketches, you'd find a lot of the same sentences over and over again. Uh -huh. Mostly because if I'm in the process of inventing a grammar, I need to focus on that. I usually keep to a pretty controlled vocabulary, and frankly, I find it easier to read new grammars um, if you're not introducing, you know, gigantic complex sentences you know, from a religious book in your con world. Yeah. Something new every time. It can be a little difficult to follow. Huh? Were you moving a box? No, I moved my microphone so you wouldn't hear me eating. <laughs> okay. Well, Sorry anyway, about that. Let's go. Um, no, I was going to say along the lines. I mean, I know this isn't about lessons, but I see people when they're trying to do lessons for their language or their conlang whatever they want to start with like the most complicated things yeah. and i'm like no no you start small a little bit of vocab and then just build and repeat repeat a lot because people were slow so repeat a lot and then slowly build you start out with hello how are you you know or nihao right. whatever your equivalent is you know, which is probably the last thing you actually develop in a conlang. To be oh, honest. right, the lessons. Yeah, it's it's been a that's a a constant in the Navi learning community is for somebody to come along and get really enthusiastic and they want to write a tutorial and you know the first thing they explain is the entire noun declension. I'm yes. just like, no, rather you than, no no no. Yes, rather than start with I see you. <laughs> Well, right, they'll have a few a few nods in that direction. So, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I think writing lessons is the hardest of all of this. Yeah. I mean, Inyalk has 18 cases. I did not start by going through each of the 18 cases. I went by going through the first two most common ones, which are kind of like nominative and kind of like accusative. So, you know, I could say, I see you or whatever. You know, start simple. You don't need to know everything at once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that um, 
Bianca is not a fan of them, but there are several free wiki services which also let people document their languages. I don't I, uh, like wikis. Yeah, yeah. Well, for languages, I mean, I'm, I feel like they cause people to want to spread out their language more instead of keeping it together. Like, they want to have a page on nouns and a page on verbs and to have more pages so it looks like more rather than just keeping it all together. I don't like having to look from one thing to another to another. I'd rather just have it all together. Ah, uh, you're a fan of the one-page grammar. Yes. Yeah. yeah well, I agree with that. I shouldn't... Well, not one page, but I prefer... The, the a single nice document. Yes, you, a single you want, document. You want one PDF that you can look at and have the whole grammar. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I think if your document gets too big, then wiki engines start to fall over. But I, I think I think with some care and some thought before you go in about organization, you can get some some really nice results. Really nice results in in, in a wiki. Um, the Akana project people have a, a really beautiful style, and not just the the markup style, but how people write their grammars there. I think is is pretty solid. Okay. It's harder, much harder to do a dictionary that way. People Ooh, can do it, but it's tedious, God. tedious beyond belief. Uh, uh, Akana, though, we should mention. Uh, is multiple languages. Yes. So that's probably more in tune the wi- with the wiki style because you have a page for each language and a page for their language fam- each language family and stuff. And I also think wikis go better when you have a con culture that goes along with it. So that way you have those two parts of it together rather than grammar, and then somewhere else it'll talk about the supposed people who speak this. That's when I think it works better. But if you just have the language, then it's kind of like annoying. I think, well, see, we're, we're talking about how to organize all of these things, but then why would you organize this? What is your goal for the language? If you're doing it for, you know, fiction, then no one needs to read it but you. But if you want to share this with people, you need a way to publish it. And whether that could be Dropbox, a wiki is a great way to publish things for people who cannot afford, you know, they're not lunatics like me that, you know, rent a log <laughs> facility and have my own private server where all of my dead language stuff and where my conlang stuff lives. Most you mentioned people. Dropbox, though, which is great. I use Dropbox for all of my stuff. Or you can just... If you have a site that you can just upload the document to and have sure. a link to it, the download link, um, the thing is, I think it depends on the person, but some people might like um, to have a reference grammar. Some reference grammars might, are the best. Yeah, some people <laughs> might want to have a reference grammar just for themselves. Like right. uh, David J. Peterson, arguably some other people might need to look at Dothraki, but he he wrote his reference grammar and he uses that to translate lines. As as far as I've I've understood from interviews of him. Yeah, I don't think if if I got that dream job of every conlanger to work on a language for some, you know big Hollywood brouhaha. 
I don't think I would write a grammar any differently for that than I do for myself. I wouldn't either. I was going to mention, I think the process of writing with the expectation of other people reading it, whether that's going to happen or not, is a good way of focusing your thoughts better than if right. you're just writing it for yourself. Hmm. Right. I've, I've started doing that and I find that I produce better examples because it. I've certainly had the experience of going back, you know, some snazzy, sexy little grammar particle is defined in a way that I can't understand. Whereas I've... an example might have helped me remember <laughs> what it was I was trying to communicate. To be honest, I think I really need to start doing that kind of thing more often because right right now mo most of what I do I keep in sort of notes I started to write a grammar for Yeltach but it was it's still incomplete and I think it's a little outdated right now but, oh my god incomplete and outdated god I have so much work to do <laughs> and, no wait how does that happen that it becomes outdated well because I think I changed some things that are not reflected in that grammar. Oh, I always do. Yeah, once once I've moved from my notebook to whatever electronic format I'm using, that is the only place changes get made. Because yeah. I don't want I don't want the, the problem you've just described happening. Well, the outdating outdated things I have aren't that big. It'll just be like I got rid of the indefinite prefix just because I wasn't using it. It was actually just redundant. Um. See, some of this has to do with the whole creative process that <laughs> I do. Is I don't always write everything down. I keep a whole bunch of stuff in my head for a long time before I write it down. Uh -huh. tish, That's tish. I, how I write, write my, my novel, how I write stories. It's how how I do my languages, and it it's a different way to do it, I guess. But I think I would maybe benefit in the area of languages from going, like going to describing morphosyntax and going through step by step and writing each section of the grammar and doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely helped me a lot because, um, like I've mentioned probably like 10 billion times now, um, when I'm going through and doing it, I realize details that I didn't necessarily plan for, but that exist, and that I might not have been able to um, articulate before having read it. Yeah, I don't think I could keep. I don't think I could keep a language in my head um, in in that way, George. Just because I'm reading. I mean, right now I'm. Reviewing Esperanto vocabulary. I just got my classical Nahuatl textbook. I'm always reading ancient Greek, and I got a funky, really cheap grammar of a of a of a of a dying language from Mexico. I have too much grammar flowing through my brain at any given time to expect to remember. Oh yes, I needed that that additional particle for a kachzai. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I'm definitely on that boat where there's too much going on for me to remember, or if I don't remember, then I'll make something up and I'll just end up relaxing stupid Swedish, <laughs> which I've done, which was horrible, and I had to fix it. <laughs> well, I don't know. But I do 
think with the languages I'm working on now, and I may go back and do it with other languages, once I'm done with these test sentences that I'm writing, right now I'm working on Pahran, I will go through and actually start writing a grammar step by step. I don't know if I'm going to to do one language and then the other one, or do them both sort of the same time, but I'll figure it out. It'll depend on your focus. It definitely takes a lot of focus to go through and do the grammar. Yeah. That's why it's taking me so long. These days, I have an outline. And that goes, an organizational outline that goes straight into any new language LaTeX document. It might need to be tweaks depending on, right, I don't need a chapter on adjectives if my language doesn't have adjectives, but there's this basic outline in place, and then I go through and fill in the parts that I develop, because I might decide for some reason, because I'm obsessed with relative clauses, that relative clauses have to come before other kinds of clauses. Right, so having that format as well lets me lets me write knowing that I will not have a complete car, no, train wreck. I will not have a train wreck <laughs> because there's already some structure there waiting to be filled in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, like I said, I, I'm older than both of you guys. I've been at this a long time, so I have I've got a system from many years of practice. <laughs> and probably more conlangs than we've done. <laughs> I Yeah. I do want to mention though that there's a plus side to being organized. But I think if you're on a roll and you have a bunch of good ideas, it's well worth it just to write it down and then go back and sure. organize it later because you don't wanna you don't wanna stop your creativity to do one thing, but at the same time you don't want your lack of organization to stop your creativity later on. Right. I, I think that's why I typically still start on paper. And like I said, up to about Ten or fifteen pages, and once I get beyond that, then it's necessary to to go back. Because the, by the time I've finished, you know, ten pages of this sketch, the character of the language is pretty much set. Yeah. The rest is details. Now, how much how much research do you do? This is sort of bringing off the topic, but I'm curious: how much research do you do? While you're doing it, like thinking up an idea and then going and researching how it actually works or something. (laughs) I'll let someone else answer this first. (laughs) Um, I I might do a lot. Um, I did one language where I decided I was going to use internally headed relative clauses. So I spent about the next... Internally headed relative clauses, I spent about the next month reading about relative clauses in Japanese and Navajo and a few other Athabascan languages to try to really make sure I understood those and understood the danger zone in terms of what sort of referential hierarchy can actually be supported by such a system and so forth. But that that's an, an unusual case for me. I don't normally spend a month researching one feature. I almost never research anything. I make it up, and then I write it down. I kind of, I kind of am like that too. I just make it up, but I like to have the right terms, so I'll get on Wikipedia. Sure. And more recently, I've been using that uh, Universal's Archive that you gave me, and I'll like 
Well, I want tone. I'm just going to look up the all the universals that have the keyword tone and take mm-hmm. a look at them. Uh, well, I have the benefit there of knowing a bit of terminology, <laughs> so I don't have to make up. I still make up a lot of names for things, and. I think I ended up with a couple of things that I don't know if they exist because I keep asking around and they're like, I don't think that exists. And I was like, okay, I'll just make up a name for it. Right, sure. And then you go on the forums and explain it and somebody gives you the real name for it. No, I asked them on the forums and they're like, I don't think that exists. And I was like, great. Until really? that one guy who who's yeah. from Papua New Guinea comes along and says, "Oh yeah, three languages there do it." Um, I'm, like, I'm like, "Fine, what's it called?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For me, conlanging. I mean, sometimes I produce pretty strange languages, which aren't particularly naturalistic necessarily. But for me, language invention and a love of natural languages and linguistics go together so tightly that I probably do more research on things than most people do. I'm just lazy. 100%. I'm just too lazy to go out and read. Because <laughs> I like it, but I have other stuff to do. Sure, sure. Well, right. It's like it's like the orchid fanatics. You can be one of those people who gets the books and learns all about your native orchids and becomes a, not just you know an orchid grower, but an orchid preservationist, and you learn about the biology and all of that. Right? It, it, the hobby becomes a gateway to other things. Or... You just grow pretty flowers. Well, I mean, there's also how do you learn about it? I mean, I'd rather learn about ergativity by sitting around messing with stuff. Sure. Than reading about it. Um, well, it's a great way to learn about it. That's that's probably why I like it. It's just because you know, helping it, me learn how to how a tripartite system works. So that's that's what I'm doing right now. Tripartite I'm, and the the person marking from Algonquin languages. Holy cow! <laughs> and uh, animate versus inanimate gender. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And and you are you going to throw obviation into the mix just to really fill out that picture? Obviation. I have mm-hmm. to look that up and see. That's also characteristic of the um, Algonquin languages. It's really weird because I originally like this culture has sort of a Middle Eastern slash Indian feel, and I was originally like the phonology has a little bit of that in it, but I guess it's turning into a Native American language. <laughs> it um, happens some to of the, the best languages of, of the some of the languages of the Caucasus can be quite funky in terms of alignment. So, hmm. Okay. Anyway. Why don't we move on to our featured conlang for today, which is Alursa. Alursa was created by uh, Anthony Harris, and this guy's been around for a while. It's so the language is very, it's very Big. highly developed. It has a lot. It's a lot of depth to it, but there is. We were talking before the episode. It's a little bit Englishy in some ways. I think the most Englishy thing to me was the verbs. The yeah. verbs scream English to me. I mean, not it's not exactly like English in that it uses 
suffixes, I believe, for most things. Mm -hmm. But the distinctions are pretty much exactly like English from what I could read. And well, he well, does have singular plural you from. This is interesting, actually. I just looked at this. He has like he has different um, moods marked on nouns. And he has a forms that are second person, but familiar, polite, and insult. That's interesting. Insult sounds like one of those things that sounds like it's a good idea, but then you never end up using it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, why do you have a grammatic form, grammatical form specifically for being rude? It seems a little interesting. Well, why can't you just call them a f face and be done with it? <laughs> Yeah, we get to censor Bianca again. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, uh, I, I think, honestly, I can easily concoct a historical scenario where you would get something like this. Simply, you know, like to our previous show on, on register and formality, just have, you know, uh, 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 an element or, or grammatical marker that's used to speak to a social inferior and have, you know, the society change in such a way that that's no longer acceptable. And then you just preserve this grammatical form as a way to be obnoxious to people. And I have that in Inyok, kind of. I, I, honestly, I think um, third-person insult, uh, insult forms would be more useful. Well, this is just case insult. marking. So if you use the wrong case, it's an insult. And in your language. Offense. In your yes. language. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So, I, I mean, there are some things about the tense the, the semantics that are very English, but other things are quite a bit not. Yes. Yeah. His, I mean, the, the, the passives and the reflectives are synthetic forms. We have this funkiness with, um, Sort of a, a particle, a suffix, sort of um, perfective form, which comes out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. But uh, for me, one of the most interesting things about this language is definitely its thoroughness. Yeah. It's huge. It has an immense vocabulary. Yes. And he actually... Uh, through, through 2007 and into 2008, he had a blog where he, he's, he was able to write long texts in Alursa, and he has English translations, of course. And all the posts are in Alursa, and most of them have sound samples. In fact, I think I will play one for our listeners. Just a second here. And here we go. Colm Pitelon sent Pifan Hilare Villanon Vlor Vunge Villanaona. Zebleshvon, Colf Entha Yashev Zubleshvonia, Relange Solfere Sangelor Sahalie Gongeve. Umage Gazone Lainsen. Okay. So. Oh, that was a nasty nasal vowel. I don't like nasal vowels. You don't like vowels. nasal vowels? <laughs> no. I actually wow. am not in, incredibly fond of nasal nasalized vowels either. I, but on the bright side, he pronounced it very well. <laughs> he 
he you can tell kind of that he knows the language apparently he can speak it which it's not contrary to what many of our non-conlanger friends might believe is not a common thing for conlangers necessarily it's true <laughs> no i suck at my languages i think i did like one recording once and it was really crap so the um language Creation Society podcast, irregularly appearing, has an interview with um, him talking about his language. So in addition to the language, which is interesting, there's his approach to the language and his relationship with it that I think, I mean, we don't have time to go into it here. But it's worthwhile going to listen to him talk about his language because his relationship with his language is quite different from certainly mine which is as a hobby. Yeah, he has he has sort of a spiritual orientation to it, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And uh, we were saying before that it reminded me of the guy who created Itlani. He also had that sort of thing. They both kind of... I, I'll link to that LCS podcast, but yeah. um, long story short, I think both of them kind... Both of these guys kind of had this belief that this place sort of exists somewhere and they are part of that culture that exists there. Sort of. Do I have his thing right? Uh, I think that's right. But again, it's it's been a while since I've listened to it. The, it's, the, the details of it um, escape me. Mm. But uh, I, I rec- again, we seem to be picking these languages based on what William thinks would be useful for other conlangers to look at, especially <laughs> beginners. The section on word creation in for Alursa is very interesting. There's a lot of interesting ideas there. Certainly I've uh, uh, pilfered one or two of his derivational tricks. Um, so it's definitely... Oh, yeah. I don't, how long he's worked on it, but so much work has gone into this. There's really some really great ideas in there. That makes me think. How old is he? Do you know? No idea. I wonder if he started with the verbs when he was younger and then just built on top because those verbs. Well, I mean, once once you have like an investment in it, it's kind of hard to go back. And he just built onto it enough that it's not that horrible. I mean, you can do stuff the same. It just really got to me because it is so exactly the same. So I'm wondering, as a hypothesis, if he started those when he was beginning and those just ended up sticking and then the rest, he got better and added to it. Ooh, this is interesting. Some of his... I don't know why exactly it it's marked this way, but it looks like in his compounds he has some roots that are marked as unattested, as in they only appear in compounds or something. Sure, sure. Which, the you know, Cranmorph, that's a, a known thing, but it's interesting that he had that. And he has he has these two big lists of, uh, one of prefixes and one of suffixes that have a lot of interesting sort of meanings you can you can attach on to those kind of things. I mean, if your aim is to produce a naturalistic language, 
then these the cran the cranberry the cranberry words um, are important. Second of all, if your conceit is that you're discovering this language somehow, um, you would expect to find compounds with elements that you hadn't seen before. That's true. Without saying that the other element does or does not exist somewhere else in the language. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of sad that the the blog posts sort of faded away. It'd be interesting to for those to continue. Yeah. I I do like the the uh, idea that he had the blog post and then he had the recording. And yeah. I'm going to link to his blog so that you guys can see that because that's it's really cool to, you know, you see the Alursa and then the English and then you have the Alursa spoken so you can hear what it sounds like. Because actually his his um, Alursa has some odd sounds and his romanization is not always entirely clear. It has a lot of vowel sounds. Yeah, yeah that's why there's probably so many diacritics over the yeah. vowels which is driving me nuts. So many vowel sounds. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things about the language, honestly, that it gives me a slight air of the Slavic languages. Mm. There are a lot of palatalized consonants that make me think of Russian somehow. I think the first time I heard it, I kind of thought of it sounded like Russian or Polish yeah. or something. But then it has things like "la," which is really definitely not Russian, <laughs> yeah. except perhaps spoken by a Welshman. So, yeah. <laughs> You guys know I have a Russian accent, right? Uh, excuse me? In Swedish, apparently. <laughs> oh, when you speak, you speak Swedish with a Russian accent? That's what they told me. That's, That's I was like, what the hell? I don't even know Russian. In, in, in college, I had a friend in my Japanese class who all the teachers thought he was from Okinawa. <laughs> Or knew we'll, someone from Okinawa. We'll have some- you speak some Swedish here and have our listeners email in. Okay? Say something in Swedish here. No, man. I already get hassled by this stupid... <laughs> okay, fine. That's weird because, like... I've never had that happen. Of course, I've only learned two foreign languages, so it might happen in the future. But so far... When I speak Spanish, I nobody really. You sound like a gringo. I, I I sound. I have sort of general Latin American Spanish. I do have, I do have uh, je, je for the Y and Spanish N. then. And then I don't I don't have the dental fricative, um, for C and Z, but uh, which would be Spanish, Spanish, or Castilian. But, and in Chinese, well, I learned from a teacher who taught me the standard Mandarin, so, and I, I've been told I talked like a news announcer. You have the burr? The burr in everything? Oh, the arhuayin? Uh, not really everywhere. I'm not even sure where you can and can't insert arhuayin, so I don't really use it. Uh-huh. I, well, I, got made fun of, I got but made fun I, of my Taiwanese friends for speaking that way. Yeah. So I stopped. <laughs> yeah, 
but I do have um um distinction. I distinguish retroflexes. So. Good. <laughs> there's, there's a certain tongue twister that becomes ludicrous in in that Taiwanese accent. Do we have anything else to say about Alursa since we've oh. moved off a bit? Um, starting from it sounds a little bit Slavic with those those palatals. <laughs> yeah, we kind of got sidetracked. Sorry. I don't um, know. I don't really have anything I want to say about it that I haven't already said. Besides, but it's, it's it's a top ten, I think, in terms of languages beginners should look at. Yeah, it's a good thing to look at a beginner because I think, even though it kind of annoys me that the terminology isn't that specific, it is, I think, accessible to a beginner, yeah, and there's I a do. lot for them to look over. Yeah. I would do wish that he would give us just an IPA chart rather than he has list of sounds with examples from English or whatever. He's got a, a PDF version of the grammar that gives Sampa. No. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, well, at least it's a phonetic That's, It's accurate, yeah. That's, but, uh, I guess, something. Guys... You know, he he gets a pass. He's been doing this for a long time. Yeah. But, you know, guys, give us an IPA chart. <laughs> Please. Yes, maybe when you've been working on something and you can speak it and write blog posts in it, then maybe we'll give you a pass, too. But until then, <laughs> <laughs> not so much. But that will be a very long time. For, for So for now, make your IPA charts. It's, yeah, it's, it's also uh, it makes it a lot better uh for people learning it you might want to give them that examples but it's a lot easier if for people to look at your phonology look at your phoneme end inventory at a glance and see what's what's interesting about it if you have an IPA chart cuz you can see uh, whether there's series, how what the what series it has, whether it has any odd holes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and for someone who's used to IPA, I mean, after like your first year of learning it, you get good enough with it that it's so much easier to just read the IPA than to go through a sample. I mean, oh, it drives me nuts. Anyway, in in the modern world of Unicode, there's really no. Yes. Reason not to. Uh, although I'm always reminded of the Unicode curse. Which, which is? is everybody wants Unicode until they get it. I want IPA <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> hey, if nothing else, IPA will save you ludicrous descriptions trying to explain how the noise is made. Indeed. Yes. <sighs> it, it, that, that is the important thing. And, you know, this is a know-your-audience thing. But anyway, shall we wrap this up? I think we've digressed off of Alursa enough to, to show that we really don't have much more to say about it. <laughs> Go look at it. It's interesting. Yes. Look at it. Take a, take a good look at it. And this is a very well-documented language, too. And Except there's no syntax section. I need syntax. <laughs> There's no glosses. 
Well, uh, right. So there's no glosses, and I'm not going to blame him because he he was he invented this language before Bianca was here for her 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 crusade for for glossing and IPA, um, which I support. Um, but but the syntax went missing, which is sad. Yeah, the so. I it didn't have either, which is kind of weird. <laughs> so, okay, we'll say. Our morals for this episode are make sure you write a grammar when you're doing your language and that'll help you figure everything out. Number two, use IPA and IPA (laughs) phoneme charts. Number three, uh, use glosses. Number four, look at Alersa, which fails on all three of those. But still deserves to be looked at. Yes. And, and, and what was that number four? Number five? I'm still hoping that, that people listening to this podcast will comment and tell us if, if anything we've said ever has made them do something different. In yeah. How they, they go about inventing their languages. I mean, if you hear, like, George and I both thought that the Tepa or verbs were quite cool, so we went and made languages it's with it. Teva. Whatever. When that, when that, when that pod comes out, there will be a thing on the top of the show. Well, it's already up by the time people are hearing this, but that says, that corrects my, or I correct myself on the pronunciation. It's Teva. All right, fine. Well, we both enjoyed the Teva verbs, so, you know, we both made something. If you had a similar thing where you looked, where we said something cool, so you wanted to do it, or you looked at one of the languages we featured, or you were doing something else and we were on in the background, <laughs> but it made you think of something, we'd like to know. Well, thank you for listening, and happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find all our episodes and show notes, as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds through conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at conlangery on Twitter. If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, or even suggest your own conlang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line. 304-873-6281. We also have a handy suggestions form on our site. Our theme music was created by Xander Vidaeus. Mo quika in mimichtin.